Good morning. Welcome to the crossings. School's back in session. You guys ready for that? Oh, come on. Come on, with the new school year comes new opportunity, right? It's all in how you look at things, you bunch of whiners. Uh, listen, we're in a, a series called Restored. Uh, we are talking about how do you get back into the right relationship with God that you were created to have when you've messed up really bad, when you've gotten off track. A lot of us in here are new Christians. Some of you guys aren't Christians yet. You're just investigating faith. And there's those of us that have been around a while. And if you've been around a while, you know that over time, unless you cultivate it and maintain it, your relationship with God can over time get stale if you don't practice the things that you started out practicing. You can get where you are off track. So I want to read our passage, or actually I'm going to have Mike read our passage that we're uh, coming out of this morning, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Coming out of 2 Chronicles 7.14. Mike, could you read that for us? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. All right, excellent. Now, this is God speaking we talked about this last week. If you weren't here, uh, this is at the dedication of the temple, Solomon's temple. When Solomon built that temple out of, out of gold and, and all the beautiful things that were in there, Solomon went and actually prayed a prayer of dedication as part of a week-long ceremony where they were giving this temple to God. They were asking God, please bless this. This is, our, this is our gift to you. Please come and dwell among us in this place. And this dark cloud comes inside the temple. It's the presence of God, and all the people get to see it. And then God answers Solomon in, in, uh, in, in what we're reading here. This is God talking in answer to Solomon's prayer. And part of Solomon's prayer, three different times in 2 Chronicles 6, he says, God, when we mess up, please restore us. God, when we mess up, please restore us. God, when we mess up, please restore us. And God's answer is, I will restore you when you humble yourself and pray and seek my face. If your future relatives and future generations mess up, I am promising as the God that loves you and loves your family and loves your children, I will restore my blessing on your family if you repent. Turn back to me. If you turn away from your wickedness, okay? So that's a promise from God to the people of God. Now, you and I are part of the people of God. Whenever we decide to follow Jesus, we inherit all these promises. We inherit all of this stuff that God promises to his people. We get to inherit that as heirs of these promises. And so when you mess up, when I mess up, when I get off track, the same promise was true for them. It, it's true for us, too. We get to inherit that. Now, why is this important? I have a, a dad that's a preacher. He's been a minister for over 50 years. I asked my dad, uh, who has been all over the place, Dad, what is the hardest thing as a minister that you've ever had to encounter in your ministry in your last 50 years? And he said, in five decades of ministry, the hardest thing that I encounter is convincing people that God really does love and care for them. Now, that's crazy to me. Because that's what this whole story is about. But at the same time, I look at my own life, and how many times have I doubted God's love and care for me? How many times have I thought that I was the exception? That I had done too much bad to really be restored the way God says he's going to restore these people? Now, it's important to know what the Bible says uh, in terms of the commandments and the things like that. It's important to know that. 
Uh, but it's also important to know, if you're going to learn from the Bible, it's important to know the stories that are in the Bible as well. Because sometimes God gives us some extreme examples of behavior. He gives us some extreme examples of things where we look at it and say, okay, if God can love that guy, he can love me. If God can restore that guy after he did all that stuff, he can restore me. And I'm hoping if you're here this morning, if you're struggling in your relationship with God, or if you're struggling with what God is like, or if you're struggling, if you feel like you can't be forgiven because you've done too much bad, i got a story that we're going to talk about, okay? This is going to give you some hope. If you feel like you are the exception, if you feel like you have done too much bad, this this morning is going to give you some hope. I can promise you that. And I think... It's very, very important for us to get our minds right. Before we look at something like this, we need to remember we serve the God of second chances. And we serve the God of third chances. We serve the God of fourth chances. And one of the things God gives us to remind us and to give us hope and to help us keep moving forward is he gives us the gift of communion. And we take communion here at the crossings every week. Uh, We either do it here in the assembly or we do it in our small groups. But it's important that we take communion together as a reminder that we serve a God who loves us so much that he made himself a human being, came into the world, died on the cross for our sins, even though he had all the power to get off of that cross and zap everybody. He didn't do it. He sat up there and he took it. And he did it because he loves you, and he loves me, and he loves your kids, and he loves your family, and he loves this world. And he gave us the cross, and and before he went to the cross, guys, he got with his friends. As they were having a Passover meal, he said, this is my body. He took some bread, broke it, gave it to him. This is my body that's going to be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took some wine, gave them all a drink, said, this is my blood that's going to be spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This would not have made sense to the disciples at the time. But then later, after his crucifixion, after they witnessed what happened to him, suddenly all of these things would have started to make sense. After his resurrection, he came back and explained it all. And this was something, this was the reason the early church met on Sundays. The reason they met was for communion. It was because they needed a weekly reminder that the God we worship, the God we serve, loves us first, puts us first, thinks of us first. He's humble in his approach to humanity because he's always thinking of others. He's not thinking of himself as he's hanging on that cross. He's thinking of others. We need to adopt that mindset. That's the mindset that honors God. We're going to talk more of that as we move forward this morning. I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion together, and then we'll continue on with our lesson. God, I want to pray uh, as we take communion today, God, that we examine ourselves. If there are things in our life that don't honor you, Father, I pray we'd be convicted of that sin so that we'll change, so that we'll repent. If there's things we're struggling with this morning that we need to ask for help for, I pray you'll help us to realize we're in a safe place with your people where we can do that. We're not going to be judged or looked down on, God. We're going to get help. Uh, God, if we're we're struggling with our confidence, if we're struggling with uh, who we are and how you created us, Lord, help us to find clarity and solace in you today that you love us, you care for us, you want the best for us. Help us to be motivated to take the action we need to take. Help us to remember the cross, Lord, and that's love that puts you on it and that that love transfers to us, Lord. You love us so much. Help us to be convinced of that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So there's three promises from God 
in this verse as it relates to your restoration and my restoration. First of all, God says, I will hear from heaven. Whenever you turn back to me, when you repent, I will hear you. When you pray to me in humility, I will hear you. That is the present. Then he says, I will forgive their sin. That's in reference to the past. Then he says, I will restore their land. That is in reference to the future. And what I want you to see is in this promise from God, your present action affects how God views your past and how he will bless your future. So your present action is very, very important. And what happens whenever you mess up is you have a choice to make. You can take the steps that God says to take to find restoration that he promises, or you can do something else. And I would suggest, and God would suggest, and the scriptures would suggest that you do it God's way because you don't want God to be your enemy. You want him to be your friend. Amen? That's what the fear of the Lord is. If you look at what the fear of the Lord is, it's you're afraid of making God your enemy. You're afraid of putting yourself into the wrong category in, in terms of how God relates to the world. You want the blessings, not the curses. Amen? It doesn't matter what you've done or how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter. If you have messed up as bad as possible, there is not a sin that you have committed that God can't forgive and restore you from. Sometimes the guilt is so great, man, like if you cheat on your spouse, sometimes we deal with, with situations where people have, there's been unfaithfulness and infidelity in a marriage. If you cheat on your spouse, there's this guilt. If you uh, have had an abortion in the past, that's one of the things that for a lot of women, that is some, some guilt they carry around from that, just carries them on. I've, guys, I've, I've talked with women that are elderly that had abortions in their younger years who are still carrying that guilt around as, 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 as older ladies. There's just guilt there. If, uh, if you've abused your kids... If you've stolen something, if you've cheated somebody in business, if you've done something where you knew you were doing wrong, you knew as you were doing it, this is not right, and you did it anyway. Like, that's the stuff that the, the guilt just piles up in your heart, where you just feel like you can't be forgiven. Sometimes God gives us extreme examples in Scripture precisely because he knows us real well. He knows that we will come up with reasons to doubt that he loves us. He knows that. We will come up with reasons to think that we are special in a bad way. He knows that. And so he gives us these stories that are extreme just so that we'll realize that we have hope. Manasseh's story is a great example of restoration. Manasseh was a king of Israel. He was the son of Hezekiah, and he was not a good man. Now, I just want to read Manasseh's story, and we're going to talk about it a little bit as we go, and then we're going to talk about some principles that relates to restoration, some application for us. Um, you've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have just about all the scriptures we're going to look at on there. It's going to also have some space for you to take some notes, um, just because you remember stuff better when you write it down. So we encourage that. Second Chronicles 33, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, okay? This is Manasseh's story. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. So he was king for a long time. 
Then it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if your name shows up in the Bible, you don't want this to be what shows up right after your name, right? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Now, that's super duper important right there because the Lord had, if you read the Bible, had driven the Canaanites out so that the Israelites could have this land. Whenever it says he was following the detestable practices of the Canaanites, it doesn't mean he was just a little mad, like a little, little angry with his neighbor. These were bad people that did bad things in the worship of bad gods. If you look at the idols and the, the false gods that uh, are in paganism or that have been, existed throughout history, especially if you go back and look at the Canaanite gods like Dagon and Asherah and Baal, worship to those gods was bad. I, you know, sometimes I think uh, we picture idolatry as, oh, they're going and bowing down in front of a statue. That was so bad. They were saying, God, God isn't real. This statue's real. That was so, and that is bad, okay? Because that's not what idolatry was. What idolatry was, was, was super duper bad. To worship those gods, what you would do is you would pull knives out and you'd cut yourself. And then you'd pour some ink Maybe to mark the scars, which, by the way, tattoos were condemned in the Old Testament. That's why. Because the only reason you got a tat back then was in worship of a false god. So if you saw somebody all tatted up, it's because they'd been cutting themselves and mutilating themselves and getting tattoos in, in honor of this false god. Also, so that was one thing. You'd self-mutilate. Okay, that's, that's pretty bad. Hurting yourself is pretty bad. What's worse is uh, ritual orgies. They would regularly practice Ritual orgies in worship of these false gods. Baal, if you ever see Baal show up in the Old Testament, Baal was a fertility god. Baal is how you pronounce it in the original language. Fertility god. How do you worship the fertility god? Well, we're going to put up these statues on these high places, which if you read about high places in Israel, just in the last uh, century, they've uncovered about over a thousand in Israel all over the place that uh, they were high places. Now, what we think high places were, were phallic statues, statues that looked like the male anatomy, and they would have ritual orgies around this statue in Baal worship because that's how you got your crops to grow. Sometimes it's confusing whenever we read the Old Testament and we're like, why do they keep going and worshiping Baal? Like, it seems like he shows up a lot. Like, they keep going back, and then they get punished by God, and they keep going back. Well, because the pagans in the land would come into the Israelites and say, hey, your crops aren't growing well. You need to go worship Baal. Oh, what do we have to do to worship Baal? Well, you need to go have sex with this beautiful woman up on this hill. And then your family will be taken care of. If you want your family to die, don't go have sex with the beautiful woman on the hill. Then your family's all going to die. That's what the pagans were saying. Now, we have a struggle with pornography, like in our age today. Okay, For them, this was the temptation, the sexual temptation that was laid out before them. It wasn't on their phones or their computers. It was in idol worship. It was sexual immorality. Why does the Bible condemn sexual immorality over and over and over? Because this was a huge problem. Throughout history, that's, that was linked to idol worship, was this sexual practice and sexual sin, right? That's part of why it was so attractive to them, was because they were, there was some pleasure involved in this. Then you had all these unwanted pregnancies, right? What do you do with these babies that are being born? Well, we'll use those in idol worship too. We're going to sacrifice these children. 
right? So we've got all these unwanted babies, and sometimes rape would be involved in the idol worship as well. So it wasn't all consensual. It was forced. Then you have unwanted pregnancies, unwanted babies. The babies are then taken. Guys, they would burn babies in worship of these gods. There are instances where they would have like a bronze bull that they would craft, and then they would have a hollow portion inside of it where they would throw, they would get red hot, then they would throw the babies in there, and they could hear the screams coming out of the hollow portion of this bull, and they thought that the screams and the smoke of the baby while it was burning was pleasing to their God. Does that sound like a religion that you can get behind? Because it was for them. And it was for Manasseh. When it says he was following the detestable practices of the ones that came before him, guys, this wasn't just bowing down in front of the statue. This was super harmful. This was super harmful on a number of different levels. It was bad. This was Manasseh. Following the detestable practices of the nation the Lord had driven out before the Israelites, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. That's those phallic statues where they would have ritual orgies. Uh, He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. Baal, ritual orgy, Asherah, child sacrifice. That's how you worshipped Asherah. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord. He built altars to pagan gods in the temple of the Lord that Solomon had dedicated to the service of the Lord. Of which the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. Guys, he led the entire nation of Israel astray. This was not just his sin. Okay, sometimes I feel bad because I've sinned. Maybe I've sinned privately even. And I don't tell anybody, I feel all this guilt. This guy sinned publicly, and he urged everybody else in the whole nation to do it too. He was the king. He got to do what he wanted, right? Part of the danger of having a leader with power like that is they can take you the wrong way, right? He takes them the wrong way. He leads an entire nation astray. Verse 6, look at this. He sacrificed his children in the fire, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought almonds, consulted mediums and spiritists. When this talks about witchcraft, it's talking about dark stuff in the Bible. This whole uh, like stuff people practice today, Wicca and stuff like that, that you might see somebody reading a Wicca book at Starbucks, that ain't witchcraft. Okay, that's, that's like New Age paganism, and it's bad, and it'll, it, it'll sever your relationship with God, but that is not witchcraft. Witchcraft as presented in scripture, was dark, it was bloody, it was horrible. And that's what Manasseh is following here. These are the pagan cults and gods that Manasseh is leaning into, right? It says, uh, he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Verse 9, Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, the whole people, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. God said, I'm going to get these Canaanites out of here because they're so bad. I'm going to put my people in there to show the world something different. And then a few bad leaders later, these guys are doing more evil than the Canaanites were. How jacked up is that? That's jacked up, right? It says in verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't pay any attention. It's not like they weren't hearing from God. It's not like God wasn't present. They just weren't listening. So he does all this bad stuff and he's actively hardening his heart 
That's bad, right? That's bad. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. That's where he ended up. Now you say, I struggle with guilt. Have you ever led a whole nation astray? I had an abortion. Did you have, uh, did you have it after the baby was born where you threw it in a fire? I cheated on my wife. Did you practice ritual orgies and, and rape and, and, and all that stuff just routinely? Like, no. Okay, I don't know anybody who's done this much. I don't know anybody who's this extreme. I know some bad sinners, right? Like, I've got friends, and we've done some bad things. I, I know people that have killed a bunch of people. I know uh, drug dealers. I know people that have raped. I know people that have abused kids. I know all this stuff. I don't know anybody who's done this much. Do you? You know anybody who's done this much? I know some bad people, right? This is extreme. So God has the Assyrians, one of the most ruthless people that ever existed in history, I could tell you stories about them, but we're not going to, right? R-rated stories about what these guys would do to people, to torture them. They come, and, and you weren't the same after you got captured by the Assyrians. You just weren't going to be the same. Well, Manasseh wasn't going to be the same. He was going to be all scarred up because they put a ring. They would put a hook through your nose. Like, not nicely either. They would jab this big, huge hook through the bridge of your nose, and then they would attach it to a chain. They would lead you around. They would have a whole, like, chain gang. Of people, there's there's uh, art that they created to depict some of this stuff. Uh, there's stone carvings and things you can look at where they're doing these mutilations. They would chain these guys nose to nose, and then they would lead this procession back to Babylon of the slaves and the plunder that they were taking back. Manasseh would have been a prize for the Assyrians. So they come, they take over Jerusalem, they take Manasseh, they make him a slave, they cart him back to Babylon, and while he's in Babylon, wouldn't you know? that pain made his heart change? Anybody in here ever had a heart change because of pain? I know I have, right? He spit in the face of God. He did more evil than anybody else up to this point. He was worse than the nations that God drove out before him. And then look at what happens. He gets his butt kicked. And in verse 12, in his distress... He sought the favor of the Lord his God. And he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord is God. And Manasseh would go on, if you read his stories, to tear down the idols, tear down the high places, fix the temple, and he, instead of leading the people to worship idols, then began leading the people in worship of God. God restored him. And it wouldn't have been without scars. Manasseh had some marks on his body after this experience. But oddly enough... If you go to heaven, guess who you're going to see there? 
you're going to get to meet Manasseh. The man who did way more evil than me and way more evil than you. Isn't that crazy? If you think you're so bad, really? You know, this is just one example. I could show you some more. This is just one example of a really, really, really evil guy that God showed grace to and forgave when he repented. Right? You think you're bad. You, you have no idea how deep and wide God's love is for you. How boundless his grace is toward your sin when you repent and come back to him. You have no idea. You think you're bad. You're not special. They're not going to write books about how bad you are. Go try. I mean, seriously, if I went and put my mind to it and tried to out-evil Manasseh, I don't think I could do it. I don't have the power or the influence or the resources that this man had. And I never will. I will never be king of a nation with millions of people knowing who I am and following me. Right? I couldn't out-evil this man. And if God can forgive him, God can forgive me. If God can restore him, God can restore me. And it's the same for you. You cannot out-evil this man and God redeemed and restored him. You should take hope from that and take that to heart, right? God gives us this extreme example. And the, the way he repents, the way he gets right, these principles that are here are also applicable to us. So the question today is how can I be restored when I've messed up horribly, when I've messed up really bad, when I've blown it, when I've done evil and I knew I was doing evil as I was doing it? How can I be restored? What can I do? Well, restoration requires, this is, this is the lesson this morning, restoration requires humility. That's what it requires. That's what it needs. You've got to be humble. Now, I want to clarify what humble means because I think this is one of those things that gets misunderstood. You know, words uh, change meaning over time. Like when Corey gets up here and says, uh, my one-year-old son is transitioning, and we are like, <gasps> and then he has to clarify into another bed, okay, <laughs> right? That word transitioning even means something different now than it did 10 years ago. Humility, humble, that means something different, I think, to us than what it is actually an accurate understanding of what humble is. Humility, you know, sometimes if you think of somebody who's humble, you think of somebody who just thinks little of themselves. You think of somebody that uh, maybe is, is self-effacing. They just don't think they amount to much, okay? That's the understanding of what a humble person is in the average person's mind. That is not what humility is biblically. Humility, a good definition of humility is seeing yourself as God sees you. It is understanding your identity in light of God's identity. It's understanding who you are in light of who God is and how God sees you and sees the rest of the world. It's a, it's a proper understanding of self. It is not a self-obsession, right? And if you meet a truly humble person, 
you're probably not even going to know you met a truly humble person. You're not going to walk away thinking, oh, they were super humble because we don't think of humility the right way. Humility is not self-obsession. It is others-centeredness, biblically. It is thinking of God and others first. If you meet a truly humble person, it's not somebody who just keeps saying, I am nobody, I am nobody, I am no." They're not saying I. Because okay, you can be prideful and be self-obsessed and just negatively prideful, right? You can be, you can be uh, uh, self-obsessed in, in thinking you're so bad. That's just another form of pride because you're just thinking of you, right? That's not humility. That's still pride. A truly gospel-humbled person is not self-obsessed. They are totally interested in others. And so when you meet somebody that is just totally interested in you, that's a humble person. What was Jesus like? Right? Whenever Jesus gave somebody attention, was he thinking of himself and how are they viewing me? And was it insecurity? Man, insecurity is pride. We don't think of it that way, but it's just you're thinking of you. Right? Jesus was all about others, and that's what humility is. Humility doesn't simply mean I think less of myself. Humility means I think of myself less. Does that make sense? It's not that you're self-effacing. It's just you don't think of yourself as much. You're God-centered. You're other-centered. Pride is self-centered, and that can manifest itself in arrogance or self-contempt. Okay? It's the same, same sin. It's pride. Manasseh was not thinking about others. He was not thinking, how is this action that I'm taking going to affect everybody else? He was thinking, how do I get my rocks off? And when I've done the dumb things in my life that I've done, the sins that I've struggled with the most, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic, it's, it's what's, what am, what's in it for me? How is, how is this going to help me have a good time? How am I going to feel pleasure from this? What can I get away with that's going to make me happy today? I'm not thinking about others. I'm thinking about me. And that's what Manasseh was doing. He led this entire nation away because of his pride. He wasn't humble. He wasn't thinking of himself right, and he wasn't thinking about others. Um, humility is vital to restoration. I'll give you some points here, okay? Number one, humility is vital to restoration because humility leads me to turn to God. When I get the focus off of me, humility helps me turn to God. Pride looks down. Like if you just need a picture of pride, it's this. I'm looking down because I'm better or uh, I'm just self-obsessed. C.S. Lewis said, as long as you're proud, you can't know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down... You cannot see something that's above you. Pride looks down. Humility looks up. Humility looks up. I'm going to understand myself in light of who he is. Humility reminds us who the source of life is, who the source of light is, who the source of everything that is good is. Humility helps me focus on that. Suffering is often what leads us to being humble. We say all the time, when you hit rock bottom, where's the only place to look? Up, right? That's true. 
Pain can lead us to look up. Suffering can lead us to look up. When we get comfortable living in pride and we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting others, God will sometimes introduce pain into our lives to get us to look up because God loves you and he loves those people you're influencing. It says in 2 Chronicles 33, 12, in his suffering, Manasseh became humble. When did Manasseh become humble? After the Assyrians kicked his butt and put a ring in his nose and hauled him off to Babylon. That's not a good day. That's going to leave a mark, right? He's never going to be the same after that experience. That would have been a horrible experience. He would have been despairing of life as he's walking that long journey, bleeding and mutilated all the way to Babylon, and then not knowing whether he was going to live or die. You want to think his, you think his prayers were pretty passionate at that point? I've been living evil for this many years. Now the chickens have come home to roost. What's going to happen to me, Lord? Can you please save me from this? I screwed up so bad. He's looking up. But when he was walking in pride without all that pain, he was not. He was looking down. What's next? What's next on my to-do list to get my rocks off today? Right? His perspective changed. Now, I've been here. Many of you have been here where you have lived in such a way where you wrecked your life. And God let some pain be introduced into your life so that you could look up. Guys, I have sat on a couch and thought about killing myself. I know what that feels like. I have been at the end of my rope in drug addiction where I didn't see a way out. I didn't think I could ever quit because I tried and I was just like a robot going right back to it again. I know what that feels like. I know how hopeless that can feel. And then when that pain gets super bad, when that pain gets super bad where you're ready to try anything to get better, is that's when you look up. That is an act of God's grace. Every prodigal has a pig pen. And that pig pen is an act of God's grace. Manasseh's punishment was severe. But guys, we need to understand this discipline was God's grace. Sometimes God's grace does not feel good. Because you need to spank it. And I need to, and Manasseh needed one. He got it. But it had to, his heart had to change before he was going to learn. It says in Psalms 10.4, Because he is proud, the evil person doesn't turn to the Lord. There is no room for God in any of his thoughts. You see that? You're edging God out. There's no room here. Secondly, humility is vital to restoration because number two, humility allows me to learn from God. Humility allows me to learn from from God. Proverbs 15, 31 through 33, whoever heeds life-giving correction <coughs> will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Right here, guys, the, the principle in Scripture is that humility means that you are teachable. Humility means that you are coachable. Humility means that when you're challenged from the scripture, when somebody comes to you and says, look at what God's word says, you don't throw a fit like a baby and get mad. You look at it and say, "How can is this true? How do I apply this to my life? That's what humility is. It's, uh, if you've ever uh, gone and, and shaped a, a jar, like a clay jar, if you've ever gone with a spindle and the clay and all that, you shape that stuff, that clay has to be soft for you to shape it. You don't see anybody putting a hardened vase on the spinner thingy and trying to shape it. Why? Because it's a waste of time. It's hard. It won't move. Your heart can be like that. 
And when your heart is hard, honestly, it's a waste of time. That's why there's sayings in the Bible like, don't cast your pearls before swine. Like, if you go read the book of Proverbs and it talks about how someone is uncorrectable, you just don't even bother. Like, if somebody's a fool, they don't even bother. They're just going to take what you say and throw it back in your face and get mad at you. Just walk away. You can't help a fool. You can't. The only thing that, the only hope there is for that fool is if the fool's heart changes. If the fool's heart changes and becomes soft and workable, then they're you go pour into him, right? God is the same way. Fellas, if you want to have a great relationship with God, you have got to be coachable and teachable. If you can look at the Bible and see that it's calling you to do something and just harden your heart, that's a hard heart. But if you look at the scriptures or if you look at what God says or if you have people in your life that are helping develop you and, and you're, you're, you're coachable and teachable, I guarantee you're going to grow. But as soon as you harden your heart, your ability to be corrected goes out the window, and if you're not going to listen, you're not going to grow, period. You will not grow. You're going to get stuck. you got to be coachable. Manasseh was not, okay? He was a man who hardened his heart against the word of God, and it wasn't because there weren't people speaking God's word to him. I believe there were people speaking God's word to him. It even says in the text there that God tried to speak to him, but he wouldn't listen, right? There were people there, but Manasseh was hardening his heart until, until God had enough and God decided that it was time for him to get a spanking. And after that, his heart became soft. But let me tell you something, kids. The wise people in your, among you are the ones that can learn from other people's mistakes, if you can look at somebody else who has wrecked their life and they come back and say, here's what I did to wreck my life, don't do the same, you listen to that and you don't follow the same path. I don't get up here and talk about my struggles with drug addiction to give you guys excuses to go do that kind of crap. I get up here and tell you that stuff so that you won't. But sometimes when you're young and foolish, you can look at somebody like me or others and say, well, they did it, why can't I? They turned out okay. You have no idea the amount of pain you're introducing into your life when you start thinking that way. I'm telling you this stuff so that you won't do it, not so that you'll use it as an excuse to do it. Guys, Manasseh could have learned from the mistakes of his forefathers. Manasseh was hard-headed, and he decided to do things his own way. It's not like he hadn't heard the stories of things God had done before this, right? He hardened his heart. Don't do that. In Psalms 25, 9, he shows those who are humble how to do right, and he teaches them his ways. And in James 1, 21, humbly accept the word that God has placed in you. This word can save you. Humility is so vital to your being able to take God's word and do what it says. Humility is vital to your ability to learn. It is where I'm not just thinking about me and what I think. Pride is that attitude I know best. I don't need to listen because I know best. I know everything. I, I am the encyclopedia of knowledge I know best. I don't need to listen. I like what it says here, 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 and here. I don't like this over here. Uh, I'm going to give God this portion of my life. I'm going to keep this to myself. Okay, this is mine. Why? Because it's not a big deal. Why do you think that? Because I know best. I know the Bible says something different, but really, this isn't that big of a deal. I'm going to keep this for myself. That's, that's all it is. That looks so innocent, Right? That's all it is. And the way sin works is over time, that, 
this little thing that I'm holding on to, it's going to take over. It's going to lead to sin number two and sin number three and sin number two. Pretty soon I'm going to be living a lifestyle to hold on to this little thing over here just because this little thing over here is how I gave the devil a foothold. We call that a stronghold, folks, right? That's all it is. It's that little thing I want to hold on to. Manasseh had that. Guys, humility allows us to get the help we need to get that kind of stuff out of our lives. We got to be humble, right? Lastly, humility leads me to change that lasts. Humility leads me to change that lasts because humility leads me to real connection with God, the source of all good, right? Consistent humility leads me to consistent connection with God. In Isaiah 57, 15, the high and holy one says this, I live with those whose spirit are contrite and humble. I live with those. He doesn't say I visit. Like, I come every once in a while. I live with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Humility precedes repentance. Okay? You want to get right with God? You've messed up really, 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 really bad like Manasseh? Right? You want to get right with God? Your heart becomes humble. That is what leads you to repentance because that's what leads you to accept God's correction. Humility precedes repentance. You've got to humble yourself before God before you'll listen to him at all. Right? And so if you haven't been listening to God, if you've gotten into a habit of making this routine where you come in and you hear a word and you don't really apply it, you just, then you just kind of come back the next week and do it again, that is walking in pride. And what God calls you to is to change that, to walk in humility. And as soon as you start walking in humility, that's what leads to repentance. That's what leads to change. But so long as you can hear something and just ignore it, Guys, and there's a couple of different kinds of pride. There is the loud pride whenever you're confronted, the, the person that wants to get combative. And, and this is where you have a conflict and an argument, and that's not what that says, and that's not what that means, and I'm not doing that. There's the loud pride. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow up. And then there's the quiet pride. And honestly, the quiet pride is more insidious. Because the quiet pride is the one that hears the word and doesn't agree and wants to avoid the conflict, so you just don't say anything. And you nod, and you say, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, amen, brother, amen. Got to throw some amens in there so everybody knows you're serious, right? And then you take that word from the Lord, and you do nothing with it. But you looked good with all your amens, Right? That's just that quiet religious pride that doesn't apply the word of God. That's all that is too, right? It's pride. Don't be proud. Don't be somebody that can look at God's word and not apply it. Don't do that. It says uh, God opposes the proud in James 4, 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a promise. Have you ever gotten in a fight with someone that you knew you were going to lose? 
You ever done that? I did one time as a kid. That's all it took was one time. I got the crap kicked out of me by Brian Branch up the street. He was way bigger than me. I knew he was going to beat me up, but I was tenacious, right? I read Marvel comics. I liked Wolverine. Wolverine's tenacious, right? He just goes and gets in fights. But the problem is I didn't have an adamantium skeleton. And so he just beat the tar out of me. And I said to myself, you know what? Next time Brian decides to beat the tar out of me, I'm running. I'm not going to do this again, right? And I learned the art of the runaway through the woods, right? That's what I did. Why would you pick a fight with somebody you know you're going to lose to? Whenever you walk in pride, that is exactly what you're doing. When I walk in pride, that is exactly what I'm doing. Because this right here says God opposes the proud. That's a promise. Do you want to make God your enemy? Just be proud. Just be proud. Just walk in pride. Just think of yourself. Just be self-centered. Come, come walk through life thinking about what you need that day. Just think all about you. Don't, don't think about what you have to give to others. Because, you know, this assembly right here, I hope that you will learn, if you're not there yet, that you will learn to come to this assembly not just thinking about what you're going to get. I pray you will come to this assembly thinking about what you're going to give. Because, guys, you are uniquely created. You have gifts. You have experiences. If you will just come into this assembly and walk through your life thinking about how can I encourage, how can I give, how can I love on, how can I make somebody feel better, what... Did you know that's the cure for depression? That's the cure for a lot of the anxiety that you feel. It's just making your life about others. That's what humility is. That's what it means to walk in humility. And it says in Proverbs 15:33, here's another promise. If you want to be honored, you must be humble. You've got to be humble. God opposes the proud. God, you make an enemy of God when you're proud. But then, man, when you're humble, God will honor you. God will bless you. God will make your... Because, guys, walking in humility, walking, thinking about others, making your life about others, that's just what Jesus did. Amen? And life is better when you do life the way the Master did it. When you have a heart that's aligned with Him... You make your life about other people. You're not just walking through life selfishly, thinking about you and how you can get your rocks off today. And I'm telling you this as a man, I've lived this way, right? I still, when I, when I look at this, I'm challenged by this lesson. I'm selfish. Like just straight up, I struggle with selfishness. I struggle with pride. And I often don't think of it that way. But pride is all about me. Humility is all about him and others. And if you want to have a great life, you got to walk in humility. We're going to close out today. Uh, we actually have a baptism here in a second. I don't know if you guys want to get ready. Uh, we're going to do that right here at the end. Where is Mr. Alamade? Okay. Um, you've got a, a communication card in your bulletin. If you want to go ahead and pull those out. Uh, we are going to close the message, and then, uh, like I said, we'll do baptism here right at the end. Um, that cardstock piece of paper is called a crossings communication card. Can everybody pull that out and hold it up for me? Um, that is uh, your card that you get to fill out where you get to respond this morning. Listen, 
if, if you get into the habit of not responding to God's word, it becomes a habit that's hard to break. And so I want to encourage you, if God spoke to your heart this morning, if you're convicted about something, or if you need help with something, I want to encourage you to indicate that on your card. <clears throat> we also have a lot of resources here that we have uh, available to help people with various life issues. We are getting ready to launch our Fall Healing is a Choice class, which is a 10-week course that helps people make uh, 10 decisions that will bless your life. If you want to heal, if you're struggling with bitterness, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, if you're struggling with anger, if you grew up in a household where your needs weren't met, if you come from a, a, a place where there was brokenness or you're just carrying around pain from your past, Healing is a Choice is a class that will help you. There are 10 lies that Satan tries to get you to believe to knock your life off track, and then there's 10 truths that you get to choose to believe that will help you heal. It is powerful material. It has helped me personally a lot. We are starting that class. Is it this Wednesday or next Wednesday? It's in the bulletin. Next Wednesday? Okay. So you still have time to set up. It's next Wednesday. Uh, you need to sign up. Space is limited. The cost is $20, and that's just to cover the materials. We're not making any money off that or anything. Um, but you can sign up online at crossingscollinsville.com slash H-I-A-C, HIAC, Healing is a Choice, okay? Crossingscollinsville.com slash HIAC. We also are launching a class uh, that is for men 18 years of age and older that have struggled with childhood sexual abuse, uh, where they were victims. Uh, we're going to be starting that as well very soon. If you are interested in Wounded Heart for Men, uh, that is something, again, that helped me a lot. I was molested when I was a little kid uh, pretty severely. I was all, I was all messed up by it, uh, carried around a lot of darkness in my heart. Uh, that's the class that really helped me. And all it is is it's taken the Bible and applying it to that situation and that hurt. And so you're just taking scriptural truth and saying, okay, here's what, here's what God thinks. How does this line up with what I've been thinking about this stuff? And it is honestly very difficult to go through that. It's, difficult. it's a difficult class to take. It's not fun, but it is extremely helpful. It's life-changing. And so if that's something you're interested in, just come talk to me, and I will get you connected. We do keep all of these sign-ups and all these classes confidential. They are anonymous, much like Alcoholics Anonymous is anonymous. You don't tell people who was there or what, what was said. All of this is confidential and anonymous. So if you sign up for a class, your teachers uh, and you know, maybe a couple other people helping are going to know. Nobody else in the church or in, in the community is going to know unless you tell them, okay? because it's all kept secret. Uh, so just know... We want you to get the help that you need without having to worry about uh, any distractions from that. Uh, we've got small groups that we do here at the Crossings as well. We're a church of small groups. Uh, if you haven't checked out a small group yet, um, we actually require small groups for membership because uh, we believe that the scriptures are so clear about what community should look like that we have to be intentional about cultivating that community in our church because in our culture, we are so stinking busy that if we don't make the time, we just won't do it. And what will happen is you'll become one of those kinds of people that just goes to church on Sundays and then goes home and you don't really see anybody through the week. We don't believe that's a healthy church. If that's what the, uh, a church looks like, that's not what I read about in the New Testament. And so um, we just want to do what the Bible says. And so uh, small groups is a great way to get to know people. It's a great way to meet and make really good friends. 
Uh, it's good to come to this assembly and hear a sermon. You, we get something out of it, but honestly, the best work that we do here at the Crossings is, is around a table. It's in a living room. It's not just here in the assembly. And so if you haven't checked out a small group, I do want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we've got groups that meet throughout the community for all ages. Uh, just indicate on your card that you'd like more information, and we will get somebody in touch with you. If you're here this morning and you aren't sure about this God stuff, if you aren't sure that the Bible can be trusted, if you uh, want to make sure that your relationship with God is what it needs to be or could be, indicate on your card that you'd like a personal Bible study, uh, and we will get a couple of our folks to get together with you, and you guys will sit down, open the scriptures, and just see what it says and, and what you think about it. That's another good way to make friends. It's also a good way uh, just to, to get your relationship with God right, which is more important, right? Um, we uh, have opportunities for all kinds of different stuff. We've got this uh, ways for you to connect up here on the screen. Guys, we've got cross chats for teens uh, this week. Those are meeting at, I believe, in Troy. Is that right? On, huh? Watch you, hey, hey, you let me talk. I'm just kidding. Um, that's my wife. I'm just kidding. Give me a break. No groaning. You ought to hear what she says to me. Um, what? Oh, okay. Uh, if you guys want to go um, grab lunch today, I mean, uh, just I want to encourage you to make some friends. Like, if you come to the crossings, please don't just come here and, and skedaddle. Like, come in here and actually take the time to build some relationships because it's the relationships that you make here that God will work through. When you come in and you start making friends with people that love Jesus and you start like hanging out and doing life together and actually become friends and over time become like family, that's the transformative relationships that I, I believe that are available through the church. If you come here and you just sort of uh, show up and then go home and nobody really spends any time with you or gets to know you, man, it's hard for God to work that way. Uh, he really does work through these relationships whenever humble people get together and they're humble together. Uh, it's amazing how transformative and positive that can be for your life. So I do want to encourage you to connect, whatever that looks like for you. I just encourage you to make some friends here today uh, with some of our members. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we will do a baptism. You guys ready for that? Okay, he needs... We, we're going to do it quick, okay? All right, so we're going to do a baptism, and then we're going to sing a song. So if you guys want to go ahead and come on over here and get, get ready. Uh, do, they, do you need a mic? Okay, microphone, uh, and by the way, guys, um, I'll let Alameda tell you more, but this is Caden. This is John and June's grandson. Caden has decided to give his life to the Lord today, uh, so let me pray, and then we will do this thing. Uh, Lord God, I want to pray as we close out our service today and as we get ready to baptize Caden, uh, that you'll help us remember, God, that life is better with you. Caden's about to make the decision to uh, be baptized. He is committing his life publicly to follow Jesus. Uh, Father, I pray that we will remember as his older brothers and sisters in the assembly today that he is our younger brother, that we're to take care of him and to help foster this faith in him uh, and give him the support system he needs. I want to pray, God, if, uh, just as we close the lesson, if there's anything that was said today uh, that convicted us, that we will take action uh, and that we won't sit on that, Lord, but that we'll actually uh, apply your word to our lives, understanding that the best life we can have is wrapped up in a humble relationship with you. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.